realising that right now it's probably the best time and also the worst time to speak on this. Just in our country alone, you know, we're dealing with things like, um, in the political realm, we're dealing with things like same-sex marriage, we're dealing with uh, safe schools, we're dealing with the asylum debate, we're dealing with euthanasia in, in our state here, we're, we're dealing with racism and um, we're dealing with asylum, the asylum debate and asylum seekers, we're uh, locally in, our, in, in Melbourne, we're dealing with a few councils, we're dealing with the whole Australia Day debate and how we deal with that and I could go on. And so um, you don't need to do much to open your newspaper or just open your Facebook feed and uh, you'll be astounded by the way that some of the quote-unquote debate happens on Facebook and, and I've been astounded by some of the debate. I realise that 30 minutes or 30-odd minutes is woefully inadequate to deal with this but we're going to um, have a look at a few things anyway. It's almost impossible to do justice or to satisfy the desire for many of us, and even in all these topics, it's, it's difficult to, to, to come up with clean-cut answers and do justice to everyone's desire for that. When you think of politics and debate, you've probably heard things like, politics and religion don't mix. I'm not sure whether you've ever heard that. Who's heard that before? Politics and religion don't mix. Of course you've heard that before. And there's other statements like that. I've done so much reading and, and opinions in this, la- in this last couple of weeks, yet I've discovered the best place to read, the best place to go is the Word. The best place to look is the life of Jesus and, uh, and looking at, at how he dealt with some of those things. And we are going to look at both this morning. And um, when you think of politics and debate, it's, it's much wider than just politics. I started thinking politics and debate, we just started looking at governments and politics and Labour and Liberal and, and, and Greens and whatever... When you think of politics and debate, this whole area, when we looked at some of the, the questions we got from, from you guys, it's really much broader than that. It's the debate on areas and issues in our society. And so much more issues, the direction of our nation, the direction of our world, the, the values of humanity, um, the way we engage with education and the way we engage in medicine and, and all sorts of areas. There's debate in all those areas. In our country and in many countries, that all comes into the political realm. So that's where we get this whole concept of politics and debate. So to touch on the issue, and we're only going to touch on this morning, I want to address three things, and, and you'll see them up there. I want to look at three things this morning. The first one is, should we as Christians be involved in politics and debate? Should we be involved in debating and um, being involved in issues of our day? In commentary? But what I want to talk about this morning is not just about do we, do we engage with Facebook or, or round-the-table discussions with our family or, or at school. I want to think about us as Christians. Should we actually be in these areas, engage with these areas? It's not just this whole concept of debating online or having an opinion. Because oftentimes we can do that. We can sit in our chairs and we can think we can engage with politics and debate. But I wonder if it means that we we're supposed to step into those realms. I want, to, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as well today. So should we be involved in politics and debate? Why or why not? And how do we do it? That's probably the most important thing, how we do it. So let's look at the first one. Should we? Should we be involved? And I think I just want to look at a scripture there from Matthew. And it's the Great Commission and you'll recognise it really well. And it's at the end of Matthew in Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now some of the versions, when you, uh, when you read the Great Commission, it says, go into all the world. Uh, this one, this version in NIV, this is the NIV version, it says, go into all the nations. Think about what all the world, all the nations, just think about what that means. Did Jesus just have this whole concept of geography in mind? So make sure you go across borders or stay within your border, whatever you feel like you're called to do. What constitutes a nation? What constitutes the world? Think about those sorts of things. Go into, think about life spheres, ethics, education, politics, business, unions, dare I say it, medicine, and I could go in. When Jesus is saying when we go into all the nations, when he's sending disciples, when he's speaking to us, all the world is not just geography. It's not just the borders. All the world is all that makes up our nations, all the parts of the nations that actually make us a nation. Politics makes us a nation. Education makes us a nation. Medicine makes us a nation. Business makes us a nation. And Jesus' original intent for the church was for, that, that we, for Christians, for followers of Christ, for, the, for people who are disciple makers, and that's us, that we would be involved but historically, if you look in the last, perhaps, you know, I don't know, I've only been alive, I'm going to give my, some years, so, um, historically, the church has kind of pulled out of these areas. Jesus' command was for us to go into those areas, to influence those areas, and historically, we've, we've pulled off and we've, and we've left a vacuum there. Left a vacuum of, a, of what, where's the influence supposed to come from? Where's the ethics in politics, the ethics in business? It's supposed to come from us, from the kingdom people. And when we've chosen to, to pull away from those areas, we've left a vacuum there and it's been filled. And we've lost our authority. Notice where it says, well, if we go back to the scripture, notice where it says that Jesus says, all authority was given to me. And he gives them that same authority. And we've lost it by not going into these life spheres. So going into all the world is not just geography. The second point there is a Christian worldview speaks to all areas of life. Why should we? The Christian worldview speaks to all areas of life. Christian engagement is not just about explicit preaching and teaching regarding anything else as a bit of a distraction of the mission of the church. We kind of get this idea that as church, our mission is to preach and teach um, and we're supposed to expound the Bible or we're supposed to bring people to the Lord and that's really true. But we get, we get tricked into regarding everything else as a distraction of the mission and that's a limited understanding of the kingdom of God and it's contrary to Scripture. It's a limited understanding of, of politics and civil government, and faithful engagement in that. In the Old Testament, Joseph and Daniel served in civil governments. They were exerting influence to flourish the nation. In Jeremiah 29, when, when God's people were, like if you read at the start of Jeremiah 29, when God's people were in bondage, 
And he said to them, you know, work hard for the nation. Influence the nation. Let the nation prosper. Help the nation to prosper. Get involved in the nation. I will save you, but get involved for now. We sometimes have a limited understanding of engagement with society's needs. In the New Testament, Jesus himself engaged in holistic ministry, caring for the spiritual and the physical needs of people, with the inference that the state and the church has a joint responsibility to do this through law and government, etc. So all the world is not just geography. The Christian worldview, Christ, does speak to all areas of life. The third point here is politics are unavoidable and have to do with us. We can't ignore them. They're not something that are not part of our life. As exiles, it can be tempting to think that politics and government systems are inconsequential. They're not necessary for the task of furthering the gospel. Well, ask a pastor of an underground church or ask a missionary in a closed country or not even a closed country if politics doesn't matter. Religious liberty, passports, visas are not unnecessary. In fact, they're vital if we're going to preach the gospel to all the world. And we need government. We need to be influenced in, influential in government. Also, we are citizens of this world. The Bible says that we aren't of this world in, in that it's not our final destination, but we are in it. And in fact, the Bible says, if we read the Bible well, the Bible says that we're called while we're in it, that we're supposed to be active. Augustine, in his book, The City of God, said it like this. He said, believers are citizens of the city of God, but on this side of eternity, we also belong to the city of man. And therefore, we must be good citizens of both cities. Think about that. Let me say that again. Believers are citizens of the city of God, kingdom of heaven. But on this side of eternity, we also belong to the city of man, and therefore we must be good citizens of both cities. Not just good church people, good people in the world as well. Wayne Grudem, a a theologian who wrote a book on this topic, he said the following... And I've got it up there because it's a bit long, but it's really good. So read along with me. He says, we don't want to become modern day Gnostics. God cares about our spiritual lives, but he also cares about food, water, jobs and housing. And when God commands us to love our neighbours, he means to love them holistically. That means we'll care about laws that protect pre-born children We'll care about policies that defend marriages and family. If we love our neighbours, we'll naturally be concerned about the corrupting moral influences that creep into public schools. When Christians abandon the public square, what happens to community values? What happens to ethics, to moral standards? When Christians wash their hands and turn away, who speaks for the poor and powerless? Throughout history, we've seen the effect of Christian influence in the abolition of slavery, advocating for universal literacy, for improved education and for laws that protect children, factory workers and women. That sort of impact doesn't come from silence or withdrawal. It comes from faithfulness. 
So the answer to should we, as Christians, be involved in politics and debate, I would say that was a resounding yes. So that kind of makes my second point moot, doesn't it? Why, or the second part of the second point, why or why not? The why not's obviously not, not valid anymore, is it? It's the why, isn't it? Why should we be involved? We know that governments are not tasked with proclaiming the gospel. Boy, if they were, we'd be in trouble. That's our job as Christ's disciples. We know that. Matthew 28 said that. And we, must never, we should never rely on worldly government systems or authorities to bring righteousness on earth or to be agents of righteousness. Think about that. Do you sometimes get this sense when you see the government's just doing the wrong thing, don't they get it? Where somehow you get into this default mode where you expect government to bring righteousness into the world? And it doesn't. They were never meant to be the agents of righteousness. We were. We can't expect them to be. Under God's sovereign hand and under God's sovereign decision, we live in a democracy. Romans 13 tells us that God sets all authority in place, even the ungodly. So we live in a democracy by God's sovereign hand. Democracy means that we all have a say and an influence to how governments run, which means that everyone has a partial responsibility. So we have a right and a responsibility to be involved. And this is interesting. However, democracy is not about everyone getting their way, is it? Their own way. Everyone, regardless of belief, has a say and a responsibility. Our say and our responsibility is to point to biblical and kingdom values where we can, affecting the outcome if and where we can, influencing the thought processes where and when we can, being in there, getting right in the thick of it to influence it. This is also where we live out the call in Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. You know that scripture, to be salt and light. Isn't it? It's no coincidence when you read Matthew chapter 5 and, and you get up to the salt and light, there's no coincidence that that follows the Beatitudes. You ever thought of that word Beatitudes? Be attitudes, how you should be. If you read through the Beatitudes, it talks about if, if we actually lived like that, the enormous influence we would have on the world. And then Jesus goes straight in to talk about salt and light. It's no mistake, is it? It's interesting. How we live matters, doesn't it? Who the world sees through us matters. You know, we're salt in that we had flavour to the world's order. Remember, we're citizens of the city of the city of this world. We had flavour to the world's order. We had flavour to the governments and systems. We had kingdom flavour to the discussion. Whether that be on Facebook or in family or wherever it is. And the light, light in that we draw attention to the kingdom by our lives, by the way that we be, our attitudes. In you know, verse 16, at the end of, end of in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Let your light shine that they may see the life you live and give glory to God. They may see how we love and make decisions and they'll see God through that. And they'll give glory to God through that. Salt and light, how they'll see, hear and know who Jesus is. 
You know, I always think of that scripture in Paul in 2 Corinthians 2. I think it is where Paul says that we are the fragrance of Christ to those who believe, but also to those who don't believe. There's this sense that, that our interaction, the sense that comes through that Paul's talking about, that our interaction with people, with whether they're believers, whether they're fellow believers, or whether they're non-believers, that somehow we leave this sense of Jesus behind in our interactions, whether they're cyber interactions or whether they're real interactions, that we leave the smell of Christ behind. And I often, um, when I speak about that, I often think about, you know, I often challenge myself, do I leave a sweet fragrance behind or a stink in my conversations and my interactions. There's a lovely little quote here that I've got on the, on the screen again. A few things on the screen today to follow. This is Richard Doster. He says, Christians, when rightly informed and motivated, change the character of political debate. They bring the moral standards of God's kingdom into the civic realm and thereby become agents of his common grace, of his provision for those who believe as well as those who don't. That echoes what Paul said in Corinthians, doesn't it? That we bring something of God's common grace, the grace that he has for the whole world, into the civic realm. That we bring Jesus into there. And just one more why. Why would we get involved? Because this is one of the ways that we love our neighbour. I spoke a few weeks ago on love. Love God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. We talked about what love looks like and how, how love, um, gives, love opens the opportunity for God to work. When you actually step out and love people that God does, God does his thing. This is also one of the ways we love our, our neighbour. Love, it's how we love, how we show love, by serving where we can in line with the gospel. Speaking up for those who can't. Speaking up when it's wrong. Serving even our authorities. Displaying the character of God as we serve. Willing to get our hands dirty so that we can be in there, influencing the outcomes as much as we can. So why or why not, if you like? Because we have a right and a responsibility. We're called to be salt and light, and it's the way we love our neighbours. These are not necessarily conclusive, but they're key things. So then, how... This is probably the, the hard one, you know, the justifying the, you know, should we be involved and why or why not? That's, that's kind of, you know, you can do some reading on that and you can find out what the Word says about, about that. But how do we do it? This is key. This matters a lot. This has to do with motivation. And this is probably the hardest part to figure out. This is probably where I spent the most time trying to wrestle about how do we do that? Because this has the most impact, doesn't it? Whether people have a, are left with a sweet fragrance of Jesus, whether people feel like they're inclined to the way we think, our kingdom values, that all rests on how we engage with them, doesn't it? That all rests on how we do it. Because this can be where we, ref, where we reflect, or not, the character of our King, Jesus. This is where we get to be, where we could be ambassadors of the King. Recently, a Presbyterian pastor in the Gospel Coalition in Australia, he just wrote last week or the week before, and I've got a couple up, uh, I've, got it, I've got it up there, so you can go to that next one again now, um, Roy. He was commenting on the current same-sex marriage debate 
but he took it broader. And he was talking about the two extreme responses Christians and churches sometimes have to political debate and government debate. And this was only written a week or two ago about the Christians in Australia. Showing two extremes on how we should, how not to engage, how we shouldn't engage. The first one, using governmental power to force people to become Christian. Why is that problematic? Well, forcing people to become Christian is not government's God-given role. Furthermore, the gospel is meant to be commended to people's consciences, such that they're free to accept or reject it without compulsion. Corinthians 2 verse 4 2. So how do you not do it by using politics to, or, or convincing politics to, for politics to become this way to get people to become Christians? Think of countries that have uh, political systems that have taken on an, an ethic and decided that, think of um, Russia or behind the Iron Curtain many, many years ago, where the government took on a stance and said everyone needed to be this. Everyone needed to be communist. It's not the government's role to force on people. The second thing, how not to engage, how Christians should not, not engage, removing themselves from political involvement altogether. Why is that problematic? Well, while politics can be frustrating and worse, the reality is that government is not some evil that we need to get rid of, but it's a servant for God for our good. Back to Romans 13. It's part of God's created, albeit now fallen, order. And so withdrawing from any involvement in political questions means giving up on God's key way to ensure justice in our communities. Think about that. How many of you actually think that government is God's key way to ensure justice in our communities? How many of you still think of that? You know, I mean, we think they've lost the plot years ago, don't we? If we read Romans 13, we read, we read God's intention for government was that justice... And, and, and the way community operates was supposed to go through them. I was a bit stunned by that. So how should we, how should we engage or how, not should we, how we should not engage? Then there's this. Next slide. How many of you understand what this picture is saying? How many of you, if you're honest, have been one of them players? I have. Do you, do you ever get... Do you, seriously, I mean, be honest here. Do you ever read something on Facebook and all of a sudden this ire comes up in you? You think, I have to respond to this. This is just wrong. Or I know a great verse. I'm going to slam them with this one. Watch this. None of you have ever done that. It's just me, isn't it? Well, that's what we do. You, this batting backwards and forwards, this is not the way to engage. This does not display the character of God. And I have to say, I want to be honest here, I have to say that I have been astounded lately at the calibre of some of the discussions from not just the non-Christian side, but from the Christian side. And we deal with things like same-sex marriage, same, uh, same-sex marriage, safe schools, euthanasia, whatever it is. In America, I've got lots of American friends during my YWAM days and, and watching some of the debate on Donald Trump and some of that sort of stuff. I would say I have to be astounded at the calibre of some of the Christian debate as well on Facebook. And I think we have responsibility for that. I think we really do. Every time 
we type something into Facebook, every time we respond to something, we have an opportunity to show who Jesus is or not. So how do we debate? This is one of the current ways, isn't it? Here's another one. Arguing. You probably can't read that. Can you read that? Can't read that? Shall I read it to you? Arguing with some people is like playing chess with a pigeon. No matter how good you are at chess, the pigeon will just knock over the pieces on the board and strut around like it's victorious. It's true, isn't it? You can be right as you think you are. You know, and, and you can say, because the Bible says, but what if the pigeon doesn't believe in the Bible? He just kicks the pieces over. You know, arguing from a basis and arguing, arguing. You know, recently we've discovered, you know, recently in the press and in, even in Australia, we've had someone who was vilified because they argued that they, you know, against same-sex marriage and, and that the Bible said so. And I think... What if the Bible isn't the final authority for somebody? You can be right. You can be 100% right and yet wrong because truth is in the delivery and how you deliver it, how you bring that to them, isn't it? And arguing and arguing, at the end of the day, if the other person doesn't, isn't on the same page as you, if they're not playing chess, they'll just say, I won anyway. Glenn said last week that Glenn sort of set me up last week, and I was thinking I was going to try to set him up this week, but I've lost the energy for that. But Glenn said last week that I was going to talk about freedom of speech. Well, I'm actually not going to say much about it, but I do want to make because that's one of the other things, isn't it? We talk about freedom of speech. As Christians, we have freedom of speech, and that's being, you know, particularly in America, and it's starting to come here. Uh, we're beginning to we're beginning to cry that our freedom of speech is being taken away, etc. And, you know, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But I want to make two quick points, two quick observations in the light of what I've been saying regarding reflecting the character of Jesus on freedom of speech. We must always be careful with freedom of speech. If we choose to exercise the right, we will simultaneously make ourselves accountable in that area and others who we represent. Does that make sense to you? You think freedom of speech means you don't get held accountable for the things you say. If we are going to stand on freedom of speech, as soon as we use that freedom of speech, we simultaneously make ourselves accountable in that area and as ambassadors of that particular area. Like I said before, I've seen some Christians comment on Facebook I've seen them at their very best and at their worst. I've seen cutting remarks. I've seen pride. I've seen downright rude remarks in the name of freedom of speech. And I think then you become responsible. The second point on freedom of speech, intent. Why? Galatians 5 verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Intent matters. Is it to serve? You want freedom of speech. Is it to serve or is it to win? Is it to love or to be loving? You get the picture, don't you? It's not wrong, freedom of speech, like many things, but it's how and why we use it. 
We never read in the New Testament of Jesus or any of the apostles wasting time or energy teaching believers how to reform the pagan world of its idolatrous, immoral and corrupt practices via the government. The apostles never called for believers to demonstrate civil disobedience, to protest the Roman Empire or the empire's unjust rules and brutal schemes. Instead, the apostles commanded the first century Christians as well as us today to proclaim the gospel and to live lives that give clear evidence to the gospel's transforming power. Let me just say that again because this is important. Instead of railing against the government of the day and you know, we are not the first people to be underneath the, under a government that is ungodly. In fact, there have been, even in biblical times, there were governments that were way more ungodly than the ones we live under now. That's not an excuse. Instead of railing against that, the apostles commanded the first century Christians to proclaim the gospel and to live lives that give clear evidence to the gospel's transforming power. And sometimes it feels so unpowerful to us at times, doesn't it? I'm trying to be an example, but I'm just not, you know, I've just got to say this because this is going to give him better than my example, isn't it? It's going to take way too long for me to live out an example. If I just say that and correct them, I'll fix it. Maybe. So on how we should engage... I found this, this, this theologian, Wayne Grudem, I found one other thing that he said on, on how Christians should engage in a debate. And I think I've got this one on the slide. It says, The Christian should seek significant influence in civil government issues. In exercising this influence, they must simultaneously insist on protecting freedom of all religion for all citizens. However, significant influence does not mean angry, belligerent, and hate-filled influence, but rather winsome, kind, thoughtful, loving, persuasive influence that's suitable to each circumstance and that always protects the other person's right to disagree. I hate that. I don't want people to disagree with me. Do you know what I mean? But that is also, unco- that is also uncompromising about the truthfulness and moral goodness of the teachings of God's Word. When I read that a few times, and you probably need to see it a little bit more for it to sink in, that's hard to do. But it really is the way that we demonstrate Christ, isn't it? The question we always need to be asking as ambassadors of Jesus, in this, as in everything that we do, how does my interaction and behaviour display the love, passion, and character of Christ. Every time I type a word, every time I get into a discussion with somebody, every time I want to, uh, how does my interaction and behaviour display the love and passion and character of Christ? Does how I'm interacting with others on whatever platform I'm on, does it draw people to Jesus? Have I made him attractive? Have I left the fragrance of Christ behind? Is the grace that I've received still on the table for them now as well? Often, and I'm guilty of this, it's about winning an argument or trumping with knowledge. The advance of the kingdom of God does not ultimately depend on political decisions and that's the comfort we need to know. 
The kingdom of God is more powerful than any political decision that's ever made. You know, and sometimes, and I know that we know this intellectually, but sometimes we get so wound up and we think the world is going to end. It's good to be reminded that the kingdom of God is going to advance because God said it would, Jesus said it would, regardless of any particular, any political decision. A great example of how we relate to government is Daniel. Daniel was given great authority in the government of his day, using his position to influence kings and rulers, but he never set his hope on Babylon. He recognised Babylon for what it was. He brought as much good as he could and he was enabled to be a prophetic witness to Babylon. And he served just as easily under the Persian rule and used his influence as much as possible to bring about good while never setting his hope on any of those kingdoms because he understood that the advance of the kingdom of God does not ultimately depend on political failures or successes. And that's our comfort. Kingdom of God is going to advance regardless of political decisions. And maybe our best example is Jesus himself. Not maybe, it is. He left his throne above and he subjected himself to humanness, to human politics, to human governments, to earthly life, to human authority. And it led to him being killed. And Paul's word in Philippians summed this up really well. As Paul spoke to the church about living a life that reflected the gospel in the world that they were in, he pointed to Jesus as the great example and that's how I want to finish today. I'm, I've got a scripture up there. I've just got the reading. We didn't do the reading at the start, but I want you just to have a look with me here at, um, at Philippians chapter 2. Or chapter 1, we're going to start with. Chapter 1, verse uh, 27. If you want to look at it on your, bo- uh, on your phones or anything like this. Paul was speaking to the Philippians. The Philippians were in a position where they were really struggling as well. Sometimes more inside the church and sometimes from outside the church. And he said this from verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And those last two verses, the life of Jesus. Jesus subjected himself to earthly governments, to death on a cross. Jesus' attitude was not to try to be super godly. And he was super godly, but not to try to but he served with the end goal being that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul's saying, guys, be like that. Be like that because that's the end game. Serve. Do what you can. Get into government. Get into medicine. Get into education. Be there. Discuss it with people on Facebook or wherever. But remember who you represent. Remember whose light you're shining. Remember the call to love and remember that your passion as a follower of Christ is that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that the kingdom of God will continue its march to the end regardless of political powers. So I'm acutely aware of how insufficient this message is in the face of what seems overwhelming at the moment for us, particularly with the moral shifts. And my goal is not to give you a prepackaged answer on the issues. But hopefully we can lay down some guidelines to help us all think biblically and have a kingdom focus in the area of politics and debate. May we live as faithful exiles in this ever more ungodly world, all the while pointing to the kingdom of God as the only hope and giving glory to the king who will never, ever let us go. Amen? Let's pray. God, we, um, we know that you know how we live. We know that you know where we live. We know that you know what's going on in the world we live in. We know that you know who's in government. We know that you know who's, who's agitating. We know that you're not unaware of anything. But we also know that you've called us as your followers, as your disciples, as your ambassadors to be agents of the kingdom. Lord, we also know that your kingdom will rise above all other kingdoms and kings and reigns and rules. We know that your promise is sure. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be confident of that. Lord, I pray that you would inspire more of us more of us as followers of Christ to, to enter into these realms of, of politics and ethics and medicine and, and business, education. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't shy away or, or um, turn away from involvement in those areas, but they, we would be willing to boldly step into those areas as your ambassadors. Lord, I pray that we would... Um, be willing to engage with people in the first instance of loving them, allowing them to see the light of the kingdom, serving them, and Lord, offering them and allowing them to partake in the same grace that we have. That we have. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continue to point the way to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to um, empower us And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would also um, pull the handbrake on when it needs to be pulled on, Lord, when we're out of line. 
Lord, we thank you that um, we can rest in the fact that the real king is still on the throne and that you'll never be unseated. And we thank you that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.